We've been waiting on God this morning. We just finished saying, Lord, pour your spirit out. And Galatians 5, tells us what comes out of that, the fruit of God's spirit being poured out in our lives. But the fruit of the spirit is, will you read these out loud with me, please? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, we're up to, our last one was forbearance, which means patience. And today, what flows out of patience, of course, is kindness. So we're gonna focus on kindness. I'd like just like you to look at that word for just a moment. It's the fruit of what happens in us and through us as God pours his spirit out in our lives, kindness. Now, sometimes we think it's a wimpy word. It's not a courageous word. You know, we're just, we're not courageous, we're just kind. Um, we don't stand out and try to make a difference. We're just nice. And so we, we berate this word. But it is incredibly powerful. All you have to do in this moment is just think back at a time when somebody did something kind for you something especially you didn't expect, and how that affected your life. My father died 19 years ago. I'd been here at Central as a pastor for just one year at that point. And so I went up to my dad's funeral in the downtown church of Winnipeg, Canada that I'd grown up in, and I walked into that funeral thinking I would see a few relatives and a whole bunch of people I barely knew. Instead, I walked in that church, and there was my good friend, Tom Matrone, pastor of the church here, on the pastoral staff here at that time, and Gerald Borgstad, who was one of the board members. They'd taken all this time and, and all this expense to come up to be there at that incredibly painful moment in my life. Uh, you don't forget kindness like that. And then, year before last, my mom died, and she was living with one of my sisters in Florida, and so... We went down there near Sarasota. I walked into that church once again, expecting to see a few relatives and a whole bunch of people I didn't know. And I walked in there, and there was um, Therese and Kenton DeVries, and there was Judy and David Peebles, both on the board here, the, the church board. And they take it all the time, all the expense, to go down there and just to be there. You don't forget moments like that. People have done probably some pivotally kind things to you. It's a very powerful word. Unfortunately, everything we've witnessed in our world this past week has been the opposite of kindness, the antithesis, as we watch Hamas use ISIS-like tactics of brutality as war is breaking out, everything. And in the world that the Apostle Paul was writing here when he wrote the Galatians, that's an area in present-day Turkey, and in the world Jesus lived just a few years earlier, uh, it was a brutal world. You just look at what they did. I mean, you just look at their forms of punishment for criminals and sometimes Christians, all the way from beatings and floggings to burnings and crucifixions. I mean, it was a brutal, violent world. And probably the one institution of the ancient Roman world that Paul and Jesus lived in was the institution of the gladiator fights. 
these great events in, in arenas, huge arenas. We saw the ruins of many of those arenas when we were in Turkey a couple of weeks ago. And, and the gladiators, here's a picture of them. They represented a certain bloodlust in the culture where people would come and with delight cheer on people fighting each other, um, often to the death. Not always, because gladiators were very expensive commodities for their owners. So sometimes they just let blood be spilled and then call the fight before a gladiator died so that hopefully he could get stitched up and live to fight another fight. The gladiators. But there's a story, a kind of legend, a kind of story that's come in various versions out of Christian history. It happened about 400 AD. A man by the name of Telechemus, he was a monk. He came from the east. He came to Rome. He was probably aware of the institution of the gladi gladiator fights, and he probably, probably just entered the Roman forum on purpose, and he entered that, and there were thousands of people cheering at the bloodletting that was taking place in the arena. And he... He somehow found his way down and jumped into the arena itself and went, as this artist's depiction shows it, he went and stood between two gladiators and he started shouting over and over again, in the name of Christ, stop. In the name of Christ, stop. And he never lived past that moment. There's different versions of the story. One is that the, one of the gladiators just struck him through with his sword. Uh, others are that the, that the bloodlusting crowd was so incensed that they started to throw rocks at him until he was actually stoned to death there in the arena. But it doesn't matter how he died. He died. And people look back. Some, some versions of the story say there was not another gladiator fight after that moment after that day. Others say there may have been a few for a little while, but that was the turning point. When one holy man of God, carrying the spirit of Jesus, declared at the cost of his own life, in the name of Christ, stop this. Because this kind of violence is not the heart of Jesus. When the spirit of God comes into our lives, he brings a kindness he brings a whole way that we treat one another that's radically different than other ways we've been enculturated to do or other ways that our personal hurt and pain would make us want to treat other people. Kindness. So Paul said the fruit of the Spirit is kindness. This is his heart. We don't hate Palestinians here. And we don't hate Jews here. And we don't hate immigrants here. And we don't hate our neighbor that looks just like us next door. We don't hate. The Spirit of God puts kindness into our hearts. This is it. Now, we don't need to overcomplicate this. Paul's writing in the Greek language. And the word kind in the, in the Greek language that Paul uses here, the Greek word for kind simply means providing something of benefit. This is what God's Spirit does through us. He gets us over ourselves. He meets our needs, but he gets us past ourselves until we are by his Spirit distributing something of benefit to the people around us. This is, this is it. 
Although I do like the story of the guy who, he was away on business, been a couple of weeks, he was tired of the company politics and, and griping, and he was missing his family, he was lonely, so he plops himself down in a diner, and, and the waitress comes up and says, what, what may I get you, sir? And he said, I feel like some lasagna and a few kind words. So a little while later, she comes back, puts a plate of lasagna in front of him and turns around to leave. And he said, well, what about the kind words? Uh, to which she leaned over and whispered in his ear, don't try the lasagna. <laughs> so, thank God for some people's kindness. Stay away from that. The kindness. But whatever can benefit somebody who's around you. Now, now, Paul calls this the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Problem is, I know a lot of non-Christians who either don't like Jesus or don't believe in him, who are pretty kind people. I've had some non-Christians get me out of tight messes once in a while when I've just needed help. They've been very kind. They've stopped and helped repair my car or change my tire or, or figure out something. I mean, at times, the helplines can even occasionally have somebody who's kind on the helplines when you call in, if you get past a machine. But here's what happens. There is, there is a kind of kindness that goes beyond just the instinctive kindness that human beings have a certain level of because we're all created in the image of God, whether we believe in God or not. And in the spirit of Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, I like to think of this as the deep kindness. That God's spirit works a deep kindness that's rooted in the transformation of our souls. The deep kindness that comes because of the Holy Spirit. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And the question is, how do we, how do we get to the deep kindness? I'm going to run through pretty quickly three, three things I've been thinking about when it comes to the deep kindness that I think are part of our journey. First of all, first of all, you've got to let God's kindness reveal or convince you of God's love for you personally, first of all. Some of us are very unkind to ourselves. Our self-talk is vicious. We find ourselves thinking like, I'll never amount to anything. I never get anything right. I'm trash. Nobody likes me. Everybody rejects. I mean, some of us live in a kind of very toxic unkind self-talk where, where we just doubt that we just don't believe we're lovable people. Uh, especially we don't think God loves us. At best, he tolerates us. And it's very difficult when you're constantly obsessed with that kind of unkindness towards yourself to turn around and be generous and joyfully kind to other people. So it's got to start. This is, not, this is fruit of the Spirit. We, we, we don't start with us, we start with God in his kindness and the kind of love that gets revealed to us. For instance, in Acts 14, verse 17, Paul is preaching to a crowd of people. We don't think there were any Christians at this moment in this crowd. He was talking to idol worshipers who were into demonism. But he said, God has not left himself without a testimony. He has shown us his what? Kindness. How has he shown everybody his kindness? By giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. 
Uh, I tell you, rain falls on the crops of people, farmers who love God and of farmers who hate God because he is unendingly kind. Uh, you can be an atheist and still not get away from the kindness of God. And he provides you with plenty of food. And he even fills your hearts with joy. He even lets you enjoy life even though you don't believe in him. Sometimes we call this common grace. This is, this is God's kindness to everybody, no matter what they think of him. But there's also a saving grace that is what really transforms our hearts. And Paul, again, Titus chapter three. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Often in scripture, mercy and kindness are related. Like, like I don't give someone what they deserve, but I have mercy on them. God didn't give us what we deserve. And there's no way we could deserve his kindness and favor and his saving work in our lives. But the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared because he saved us, not as a result of righteous things we had done, but sheer, purely, surely out of his mercy, he acted to save us. He goes on to explain what it means to be saved. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by, there it is, the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit comes into our lives. It's like there's a new genesis. We're reborn inside. Our nature changes. All of this is because of the kindness and love of God, our Savior. He has come. He's washed us clear. And, and not only that, but he poured the Spirit on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus hung on the cross to take away our sin. He paid the price for us. He was a shock absorber of the world's evil. He de really defeated the enemy, Satan, at the cross, and he's coming again to clean and finish what he started at the cross. He generously, Jesus, bought and paid for it, and so the Holy Spirit is poured out on us generally to change us from the inside out so that, boy, does this ever get good, so that having been justified by his grace or made right by what God did, not what we did, by his kindness, we became, we become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Look, I don't know what your vicious self-talk may, may exactly be, but here's God's truth about your life. Maybe not how you feel about yourself, but if you come to Jesus, if you open today your life to following Jesus, you, you, you know what? There's no self-hatred. There's gonna be no self-hatred there. I mean, why would you hate what God loves and what God created? He created you, he loves you. There's no self-hatred, there's no shame, there's that disgrace, that worthlessness, that rejection. There's none of that that just clouds and pollutes our lives. And there's no insecurity as to our standing with God. You have been made right with God. You've been justified by his grace so that, Paul just said, you are heirs having the hope of eternal life. I mean, no self-hatred, no shame, no insecurity, just being an heir with hope of all God's graciousness and abundance. And you know, that'll set you free. You, you have a revelation of God's love. You stop volunteering at church just because you want to get God to love you more. That'll exhaust you and burn you out. But you have a revelation of the love of Jesus just as you are in all the mess you bring to him with not being able to lift a finger to change any of it. You come and he makes you an heir and he pours your, his spirit in you and he remakes you from the inside out and you become an heir of God's eternal inheritance. 
but the hope of eternal life. That'll set you free. That'll also get you over yourself so then you're somehow free to share that kindness. And it all started, you said, it's when the kindness of God our Savior appeared that he saved. It's a kindness. And just to add an exclamation point to that, the same Apostle Paul writes in another letter, Ephesians 2, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So no self-hatred there, no shame, no insecurity. You're seated with Christ right now in the heavenly places. That's why we sang about victory today in spite of how tough some things may have been this week in your life because we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. In order, why? In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. My little paraphrase of that verse is that it's going to take all eternity for God to show off how kind he can be and how much he loves you. You get a revelation of God's love for you and uh, it's going to start reshaping everything inside of you. It'll change your self-talk. It will change your sense of identity. It will change your sense of self-worth. It will convince you. God's love can convince you that you're an heir of God with hope. And you don't, you, you don't take that on arrogantly. Well, huh, that's pretty great of me. No, because you had nothing to do with it. He saved you. You didn't save you. He poured his spirit on you. It's not your self-actualization. And you were remade from the inside out. And the fruit of that is that the kindness of God then translates into letting you loose on the world full of the Holy Spirit with his kindness through you. And I also want to say that as you do begin to express God's kindness to the people around you, um, after you have experienced God's love yourself, that I just want to, this is a mistake we make sometimes. Sometimes we, we kind of do this bargain thing like I'm doing this for other people and maybe they ought to do something for me. I found the best way to be kind is not to do it for the person, but be kind as if that person was Jesus and do it for Jesus. Before you do something for other people's benefits, do it as if you were doing it for Jesus himself. Colossians chapter three, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. That means whatever you do, you're doing it in his name. You're doing it for him and for his glory. I'm not doing it for people. I'm doing it for him. And then, shockingly, a few verses later, he takes us into our jobs. He takes us into the workplace where you will spend most of this week. And he said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That's why when I talk to business people sometimes, I say, you get to fire your boss in your heart. You get to go to work tomorrow. Your boss may be terribly dysfunctional. You may hate your job, but you're going. First of all, you don't go to work because you're God's person wherever you are. You're sent to work as God's representative. And you defy mediocrity at work because you're not doing it for some dysfunctional boss. You're doing it for Jesus. He says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. That means when it comes to being kind, when it comes to putting my whole heart into being of benefit to other people. You know, I don't do it out of guilt. It's not like I feel guilty if I don't do this. 
I don't do it because I have no boundaries. Some people just let people take advantage of them because they don't know how to say no. And, and I don't do it to get something in return from people. You know, I don't have to do those bargaining things in my head or heart uh, that, that just leave me disappointed half the time. Look, you don't do it because you're guilted into it. You don't do it because you can't say no. Sometimes you have to say no when people are just taking advantage of you. And, and you don't do it just to get something in return. And said, Jesus tells one of his great parables. And he said, there's a day I'm going to come back. He said, when you see me coming back in the heavens. And then he portrays himself as a king who's going to judge the nations. And to some of them, uh, in this parable, Jesus, Jesus describes the king as saying in Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. There, there are six acts of kindness right there. You gave me something to eat, you gave me something to drink, you invited me in, you clothed me, you looked after me, and when I was in prison, you visited me. I mean, six acts of kindness. Now, everybody, now this was the king, right? So in this parable, they're all scratching their head and they say, say what? I mean, you're a king, when did you ever need clothes or need food? And as far as we can remember, you've never been in prison. What do you mean we visited you in prison? And Jesus, in verse 40, responds, the king will reply. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. When those friends visited me during my parents' funerals, um, they were doing that to Jesus, not that I'm Jesus. But this is, how, this is how God wants our kindness to be motivated. He wants it rooted in the revelation of his kindness and love to us. That sets us free. And then he wants us to go, he wants to unleash us on the world in kindness. But here's how God looks at it. When you're kind to somebody, you're kind to me. I ran across the most unusual book title uh, recently. It simply is, is titled, If That Were Christ, Would You Give Him Your Blanket? Quite a book title. Turns out it's written by a Romanian pastor, Richard Wormband. And Richard Wormband was arrested by the communists. This was during the Soviet Union era. He was arrested by the communists. And he was in prison and tortured. He said, one day they took me out to torture me and then returned me to my cell. It was freezing cold in that cell. And he said, I had a blanket. I can't imagine being freezing cold and being in terrible pain. And he said, so I clutched my blanket and wrapped as tight as I could. And then he said, I noticed in the corner of my cell was another man, a prisoner, and he was shivering and he had no blanket. And he said, my first instinct was to hold my blanket tighter to me. And then he said, this dear, humble pastor, God said, he said, I, I began asking myself the question. And that's what he wrote the book about after he later got out of prison. If I were Christ, would I give him my blanket? If he were Christ, would I give him my blanket? And he gave him his only blanket he gave that guy, that's kindness. That's doing something for somebody else's benefit, 
even at a personal cost to himself. And that's the whole thing. Jesus says, whatever you do, do it in my name and do it as if you're doing it for me. Because when you're kind to the least of these even, he says, you are doing it for me personally. This puts kindness in another whole kind of realm and perspective. It is that. So let God's kindness reveal his love to you. We're going to land it here now. And, and practice kindness as if you were doing it for Jesus. But make kindness. Make kindness then a lifestyle. Not just an ordinary lifestyle. But make it a spirit-filled lifestyle. Just, just like you love being kind to people. You love doing things that add benefit to other people's lives. You're just wired that way because the Spirit of God's transformed you. You're confident about God's love for you. You're not vicious with yourself anymore. You don't live in guilt. You don't live in shame. You don't live in all these things anymore. You don't live in selfishness. You are God's person. And, uh, and then he lets you loose on the world saying, whenever you touch somebody with kindness, you're worshiping me. You're loving me. You're doing it for me. So make it a lifestyle. Make it a lifestyle. A spirit-filled lifestyle. That's why after listing the fruit of the Spirit that we read a few minutes ago, in verse 25, a few verses later, since we live by the Spirit, Paul writes, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So let's keep in step with the Spirit's work to bring the fruit of kindness through our life. Let's keep in step. I raised... Sandy and I raised two daughters. We happened to know that junior high girls could afford to be kinder to each other. They could afford to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. If I had boys, I'd be saying the same thing about senior high boys, probably. And I went to university for nine years, and I can definitely say I met a lot of college roommates who could have afforded to keep in step with the Spirit more and be kinder. And Sandy and I have been married 40 years. You know, research shows that kindness is one of the major predictors of stability and satisfaction in marriage. It's not deep psychology. It's just patterns of kindness towards one another. And I know a lot. Of, I've been, as a pastor, I've been around thousands of marriages, many of whom could afford to have more kindness there, to stay more in step with the Holy Spirit there. And this is kindness. This is staying a step with God's spirit. This is, this is saying, God, by your spirit, would you give me a heart? Uh, one of our core values is a ten of eyes. Lord, just keep helping me notice people. Help me, help me not just to wait to be asked all the time, but help me to be kind. Help me to stay step with your spirit. I, I know a lot of bosses that could be afford to be a little kinder to their team members. I know team members who could, be, who could afford to be a little kinder to one another Especially if they're Christians, they could afford to stay in step with the Holy Spirit a little bit more. I know some retired folks, not Pastor Don or Deborah, but I know some retired folks who could, who could afford to be a little kinder. It's easy to be grumpy when you get over 35. But <laughs> you know what? Look, God doesn't want you trapped inside yourself, indifferent to all the people around you. He wants you set free with, with his love, he wants to see every person you touch an expression of your ministry to Jesus himself. And he just wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit and make kindness a keeping in step with the Holy Spirit lifestyle.
and it can change your life. I was reading a story by Pastor Craig Crochell. He's one of the most famous pastors in America today. He said, when I first met Jesus, I was so full of his love. And so I decided to wear always a cross on my shirt. And then they were pretty cheap, so I thought, I'll just, I'll just carry around a few. I bought a few of them and carried them around his pocket. When everyone said anything about the cross, it gave him a chance to tell them about the Lord. And he said, I would always take the cross off and give it to them. I give that person that cross. It was just a simple act of kindness. And he said, years later, I was preaching somewhere, and uh, this lady came up to me in the church lobby afterwards. And she said she had to thank me. And she said she seemed to be trembling and a little nervous about this. And the lady said to, said to him, you probably don't remember me, but years ago, you gave me this. It turned out to be a moment he had forgotten about. He was in a 7-Eleven. And the lady commented on the cross. And he said, why don't you just take it? Because God loves you. And uh, she didn't want to take it. Oh, she was just, oh, just felt so self-conscious. But he insisted, no, you take it. That was the lady in 7-Eleven behind the cashier desk years earlier. And she reached into her purse, Rochelle says, and pulled out this small cross pin. When you offered me this cross, my life couldn't have been any worse, she said. I didn't feel worthy of such a generous gift, but God showed me that he still loved me. And my life is different today because of what you did for me. And then in his book, Groeschel adds this, what I did was almost nothing. It was almost nothing. But to someone else, it meant almost everything. Who knows? how God could use an act of kindness this week. As his love frees us to get over our insecurities and our self-doubt, as we view everybody we see as a ministry to actually touch the heart of Jesus himself. And then we say, Jesus, just help me today. Keep in step with your spirit. Maybe in junior high, but help me keep in step with your spirit. I might be retired, but Lord, help me keep in step with your spirit. And let the fruit of kindness of your love flow through me. I'd like you to stand with me.